I want to invite everyone to please pray with me. Let us pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for this incredible day and for your goodness and your grace and your mercy, your holiness. Jesus, we praise you that you walk alongside of us. Father, you are not a God who is far away, but you have drawn very near to us. In fact, you are just amongst us. You are Emmanuel, God with us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us powerfully through your word. Be our teacher. May my words be your words. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring conviction of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, that you would lift up the name of Jesus. And that, Father, we would see you clearly that we would experience your love, that I would say only what you want, and, Father, that we'd be utterly transformed with your presence and with your power, with your love, and that we would shine your love and your light in this dark and evil world to all those around us with whom we work, live, and play so that your name is lifted up. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Well, it is a joy and privilege seeing all of you here today. Sometimes I wish I could just squish all of you right here in the middle, but I know the pews are long, and sometimes I've had people who sit right here in the middle, they feel like they're under a, uh, a surgery light getting ready to be opened up because it can be very bright here. But welcome. We're glad you're here. Those worshiping online, we're so glad that you are here. And we are now in what we call the Easter season for the next several weeks until the day of Pentecost, which is the celebration of when Holy Spirit came down. So it's Easter season. Last week was Resurrection Sunday. And today might seem like a little bit of review, but we're still in the Gospel of Luke. Starting way back in Advent, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we started the Gospel of Luke. And we've been preaching through it. And over these next three Sundays, we will look at this very last chapter And Luke, Luke chapter 24. I love this story. It is one of my favorite stories. And it's funny when we, when I prepare for my sermons, I feel like I've got about 20 favorite verses and 20 favorite stories. But I promise you, this is one of my most favorite stories. It's Luke chapter 24. But before we do that, there's a couple of what I'll call pastoral privilege announcements that I'm going to give. The first one is this. I just want to say thank you to our worship team and our choir for last week and everything that they did. And let's just give them a round of applause. I should have done that last week, but I didn't. And I just want to say thank you. And for those who are part of the choir and worship team, if you're not here today, I'm so, I just want to thank you. And I also want to thank Kim and Mike Walker Adam and a few others who have been decorating our worship center all throughout Holy Week with Advent, with Lent, well, Christmas season, then Lent, and then Holy Week, and then Resurrection Sunday last week. It was awesome. So I don't see Kim or Mike here today, but I want to thank you so much just for all your hard work. And they could always use the help. So if you have an eye for decor, the church is us, it's the people. But at the same time, God has anointed certain men and women with artistic Holy Spirit anointing. We worship God with all of our five senses, not just our mind, but what we hear, what we see, what we say. Scripture even says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And so if you're creative, artistically creative, let us know because I know Kim would love the help. But I just want to say thank you. Another thing is this. We are still seated 
Every other row is closed off. I know you guys are probably well aware that at least here in Nashville and the state of Tennessee, the cases of COVID are still dropping and are dropping. And we're very excited for that. Many people are getting the vaccine. Uh, but at the same time, we do want to be careful. We want to, we still want to be sensitive just to social distancing, mask wearing. And so if you want to wear the mask, we strongly encourage it. You'll see me with the mask on, you know, and at the same time, please respect the tape. I know last week we were awfully full and I saw a handful of people just kind of look around and rip the tape and slide on in. It was Resurrection Sunday. That happens. But we will keep the balconies open and all the, every other pew will keep closed just to continue to respect because we want to be careful. We want to be careful just with COVID. It's real. And we have dear brothers and sisters who are part of our church family who have lost lost loved ones. So I see lots of people with masks on still. Excellent. Praise the Lord. And I see many people with no masks on. That's praise the Lord. So I know many are getting vaccinated, but let's continue just to be careful with social distancing and everything. And more than anything, let's continue to pray as God continues to shake the nations. The pandemic has been awful but Jesus will glorify himself through it. So let's continue to pray that Jesus work and move. And the final announcement, and I apologize for all these announcements, but again, as I said, pastoral privilege. Uh, Many of you all know the situation with my mom and our family just health-wise. And so if you see me kind of be distant at a time, not physically distant, but like if you can't find me, or if I'm really busy and if I can't get together, I love to be everybody's best friend, but it's an impossibility. But it's just with my mom's health. And so we're spending a lot more time with her over these next many, many months. And I just want to let you guys know that because I know some people have reached out and like, hey, can we get together? Can we get together? And I'm like, no, sorry. Or I just might not be in the office. And it's just because of that reason. So please pray for us as a family. Pray for my mom as she has just got some health issues going on. We would greatly appreciate that. And scripture does say, pray for your pastors. So if you're not praying for me, I'll see you after church back behind the woodshed. And now I'm just teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. No, but we really would. Uh, we are greatly, greatly, greatly appreciative of all your love and all your prayers, all your cards, and just everything that you guys are truly loving us. So thank you so very much. All right. With that, right? Okay. Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. Last week, we looked at the resurrection, Resurrection Sunday. And like I said, it might be a little bit of a repeat, but just a little bit of the context. In the passage today we're looking at, verse 13 to verse 25, it is Resurrection Sunday. Last week, and we're looking at the afternoon, and we're going to look at two disciples. We know the name of one of them, Cleopas, but we really don't know who these two disciples are. But just a little bit of context for review, because there could be some people watching us, worshiping with us, or even here today that might not know the context. But this is what has happened. For three and a half years, Jesus was ministering and traveling all throughout Israel. He had 12 apostles, but there were about 100 men and women who were faithful to Jesus. They were disciples of Jesus. They loved Jesus dearly. There is one point in time in Jesus' ministry where thousands were following him. And he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he cured the lame, he opened eyes of the blind and ears of the deaf. He touched men and women who were mute and who were demon-possessed, and he set them free. Because the kingdom of God is all about power. Power of Holy Spirit to bring glory to Jesus and to transform lives, families, and communities. And it's to glorify Jesus' name. And that is what Jesus was doing. But he came on a mission, and it wasn't just to be a good example for us to follow. 
although that is part of his mission. He came to reveal the Father and do his Father's will, and that was to die on the cross for our sins. And he was buried. And all these disciples, these dearly beloved apostles, and the men and women, the women who loved him dearly, he utterly disappointed them because he was not the Messiah who they thought he would be. And when he was betrayed, they all abandoned him. They denied him. One even betrayed him, Judas. And he was crucified on a cross and he was buried. And the disciples were devastated and they were afraid that the religious leaders and Romans would do the same thing to them. That's why they hid in the upper room with doors closed. Think about it. Put yourself in their shoes. If you are committed to a man who said he was the Messiah and he walked on water, he changed water to wine and he raised the dead, you would think, man, this man, this guy's powerful. Yet for whatever reason, they didn't understand his words. And he told them time after time after time that he would be betrayed and that he would die. He also said that he would rise again, but they didn't get it. They didn't understand. And he died Friday afternoon. And the new day in the Jewish calendar is at sundown. Jesus was dead for three days, but not three 24-hour days. He was buried on Friday afternoon. And then the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And then Sunday, the first day of the week, these women, they go to the tomb. They don't find Jesus' body, and there are angels, and they say that he's risen. They go back to the apostles. Peter and John run to the tomb, and they find it just as the women said, empty. And they leave. And right here in verse 13, it says, Now that same day, resurrection day, that Sunday, that first day of the week, Jesus was risen from the dead. Now that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. And while they were discussing and arguing... Who here has been in an argument before? Raise your hand if you've been in an argument. If your hand is not up, you're a liar. Raise your hand high. Now, we all know that we're liars because we all sin. All of us have argued. Think about this. You got two disciples. It could be two men. It could be a woman and man. It could be a husband and wife. We don't know. But they're walking along a seven-mile hike to this tiny little town called Emmaus. And they're discussing everything that had been going on. And they were arguing about it. What were they arguing about? Okay, again, who here has argued about something stupid or dumb? Raise your hand. Very good. What about something uber important? Raise your hand. If you're online, raise your hand, please. We've all done it. So here they are, these two disciples who love Jesus dearly, and they're discussing everything that's gone on, and they're arguing about it. And then what does it say here? It says here, Jesus himself came near and he began to walk along with them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. Then he asked them, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? And they stopped walking and they looked discouraged. Think about it. I have a couple questions about this part of the passage anyway. These two disciples are walking along, they're talking, they're arguing, and Jesus is coming up. 
I must remind you, this road wasn't some abandoned road. I'm sure there were numerous travelers traveling from Emmaus to Jerusalem, back and forth. So I'm sure there are more than just one person came up to these two disciples. But I have a question. Why were they arguing? We know what they're arguing and discussing, but why? And then it says that they were prevented from seeing, from recognizing Jesus. Why? Was it a Holy Spirit thing? Was it because Jesus' body was so disfigured from having been flogged and beaten and crucified that even though he was alive, he was so scarred up that they didn't recognize him? Did he look like some Yoda from Star Wars with his whole entire face covered except just for a little bit of his eyes? Why? Why couldn't they recognize Jesus? We really don't know. But I'll ask this question. Were they so steeped in their argument and their anger and their disbelief of what the women said that morning that they couldn't see? Were they so blinded by their grief of having lost their Messiah that they couldn't recognize him? Because this is the reality. When we are utterly consumed with grief, from having lost a loved one, we cannot see clearly. And we do not hear either. And that is okay. When we are in grief, when we're consumed having lost a loved one, it's okay not to be able to see clearly. Am I making sense? I will also say this. Many times our own sin, self-righteousness, pride, arrogance, self-centeredness, and even the lies that we believe about ourselves, about others in life, keep us from seeing the truth. I'll say that again. Our own pride, self-righteousness, Sin, selfishness, preconceived ideas about ourselves, life, and others keep us from seeing the truth. I'll prove it to you. For example, this is a fun one here. Who's all gone hiking or walked on a trail before? Raise your hand. I'm sure all of us have, right? You're walking along this trail. You might be with a couple people, and you're kind of walking and talking. You're really not paying attention. And right in front of you, you see something kind of crooked and squiggly, and it's brown. And immediately you jump back. It's a snake. And then you look at it. Oh, it's just a stick. But what is your heart doing? But it's just a stick. Why did you freak out? Because you thought it was a snake. Has this ever happened to you? My boys found a bunch of snakes in our backyard earlier this year. I'm scared to death to go out in the backyard now. Constantly looking, looking, looking. I hate snakes. It's biblical. Our eyes and even our mind can deceive us. And many times our preconceived ideas about life, about ourselves, or about what is true can deceive us. And if we're consumed with anger or with grief, real grief, or with sin in ourselves, many times we cannot see the truth even when the truth is right in front of us. 
And these two disciples here, they're so consumed with grief because they lost their Messiah. He was crucified. And now they're utterly confused with all the reports they've been hearing. And Jesus walks right up to them. And they can't see him. I mean, they see him, but they don't see him. It requires humility. It requires great humility to see the truth. What is the foundation of your truth? Is it science? Is it reason? Is it tradition? Is it your emotions? Is it your feelings? Is it your experience? Is it scripture? What is the foundation of what you live your life on and what is true? I've showed this before in the past. It's called the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. John Wesley taught it to his disciples. But look at it. There's basically four aspects of life that we base our lives upon. What is your foundation? What it should be for us is scripture. Scripture is the bedrock of truth and we should live our lives and everything that we do should be based on this. A lot of people make fun of the Roman Catholic Church, the bishops, because they wear the big hat. Even the Anglican churches, these bishops wear what's called a mitre. You know what that mitre symbolizes? God's word and it's symbolic of putting God's word over the bishop. Over the pastor, we've seen other people, and I'm not going to do it because our Spanish, our Spanish speaking brothers and sisters will freak out. But in Mexico, we, we would never put our Bible on the floor. See, I just did it. And if we as North Americans ever put our Bible on the floor, the Mexicans would hyperventilate. <clears throat> you put God's word on the floor. I would intentionally sometimes throw my Bible in church in Mexico just to freak people out. You would never throw the Bible. Why? Because it's God's word and we honor it and we cherish it. So is our lives based on the foundation of scripture like this one here? Now we need to use our experiences and our tradition and reason. All of it goes together. But some people, like if we switch it around and we go to the next one, reason will be the foundation of how they build their lives. At least they say it is. Or they might flip it again, and it's our experience. You got to kind of go like this, right? For those of you online, I love it. I hope you're trying to look upside down. This is what our culture is doing today. Our culture and what is predominant today is based off of our personal experience and our feelings. That is what most people are living their lives on today. If they haven't experienced it, they won't believe it. And experience has now become the the foundation and bedrock of what people consider to be true. But is it true? Is it right? Some people, it's tradition. If we could only get back to the good old days, everything would be made right. For whatever reason, these two disciples because of their traditions, we'll see it in a minute, because of their reason, which was wrong, and definitely because of their experience, they couldn't see Jesus, even though he was right in front of them. But look what Jesus does, and I love this. I love this passage. It's an amazing passage. What is they're arguing, they're discussing, and they're talking, and then Jesus comes up to them, And it says that they're prevented from seeing him. And then Jesus asked, hey, what is this dispute that you're having with each other as you're walking? 
it makes me wonder, like, how long was Jesus walking with them? Did he even say hi? Or was he just kind of there walking and they're arguing? They're so consumed with themselves that they don't even really recognize that Jesus is even there. Is it 30 minutes? Is it 15 minutes? Is it an hour? I mean, they're walking six miles, so it's a couple hours of walking, I think. Maybe an hour or so. And then Jesus asked, like, hey, what are you guys arguing about? What's going on? And it says here that they stopped. And they looked discouraged. And then one of them, Cleopas, he answered him, are you the only visitor in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? It's like the apostles with the women a couple hours earlier. Are y'all crazy? I mean, this disciple, Cleopas, he's saying, are you the only one around here that has no idea what's happened? And in Jesus' great patience and this great kindness, what does he do? Well, what things? Do you see what Jesus is doing? I mean, Jesus is getting ready to thump them pretty hard. But in Jesus' great kindness and his tenderness and his patience, he comes up to them and he walks with them and he just listens. He's so slow to speak. He's so quick to listen. And he just listens and he asks questions. When I went to college, I studied Bible and theology, and I wanted my professors so dearly to give me the answers. And all they would do is ask questions, and they never gave us the answers, and it drove me crazy because I wanted the answers, but they made us wrestle for the answers. And they listened, and they asked questions, and they listened, and they asked questions. And Jesus, remember, this is just the summary, guys. Jesus is listening, and he's asking questions. And he's listening and he's being oh so patient with these two. Now he knows these two disciples. They have been with him probably since the beginning. They aren't the apostles, but they're committed to the Lord Jesus. And they love Jesus. And Jesus knows these two disciples. He loves them dearly. And he's not thumping them over the head because they're hard hearted. He does that a little bit later on. But he's winning them over with his patience and with his kindness And with his goodness, he's meeting them where they're at. And he's listening. And scripture tells us, Jesus' half-brother James, he says, be slow to anger. Be quick to listen. God has given us one mouth and two. And so then they explain. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, powerful in action and speech before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. Now they're right there so far. They give a gospel conversation right there. They're sharing the gospel. They had given their lives to Jesus and he was handed over and he was crucified. Here's where they make some mistakes. But we were hoping that he was one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things have happened. Still, these disciples are still hoping that Jesus would be like King David, the great Messiah who would redeem Israel from Rome. And Jesus was going to do that, but in a far deeper, greater way, not just for Israel. And it wasn't to conquer Rome, but it was to conquer sin and death. And they say, but it's been three days since all this happened. Verse 22, moreover, some women from our group astounded us 
And they arrived early at the tomb this morning. And when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Can you still hear these disciples? We got crazy women with us saying that he's alive. And then they go on. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. So these two disciples are explaining to Jesus all that had gone on the past couple days and everything that had gone on that morning. Could you imagine if Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat and Facebook was going on back then? Could you imagine all the craziness that was going on with the resurrection? Could you imagine the reports going on? Both what was true and the lies. We're actually going to stop right there for today. And we're going to finish the rest of this chapter next week and the following week. But there's a couple things I want to share with you all about what in the world does this story mean for us? I've kind of hit on a couple of them already. But I'll say this. And this is for all of us as brothers and sisters. When we walk alongside family members or brothers and sisters in the faith who have lost loved ones, we have to walk with the tender compassion of Jesus and many times not even say a word, but just be present. Because when people are going through grief, when they've lost a loved one, Many times they can't even think straight. It's so hard and they feel like they're in utter darkness. And what they need is they need our presence just to walk alongside of them. The same way that Jesus came near to them, he came near to them and then he just walked with them, listening to them as they process their grief and their pain. And as brothers and sisters, we are called to do the same thing. It's so important that we do that. And for those of us who've lost dear brothers and sisters, as we receive the mercy and compassion and strength and the comfort that our Heavenly Father gives to us, later in life, it could be just weeks or months or a couple years later, we're going to have people in our lives who are going through grief and loss. And the same comfort and compassion and strength that God has given us He then calls us to walk alongside that same man or that same woman or family who is now going through pain and grief. We need to be as Jesus, walk as Jesus, and just come alongside people who are grieving. There are a lot of people who are grieving this past year. The second one is this. It's very different. Our own sin, selfishness, pride, Arrogance, greed, preconceived ideas about ourselves, about life, even about God himself can cloud what is true about who Jesus is. I use the example of the crooked stick in the, in the road, thinking it's a snake. And many times we come to life where we ha- encounter other people and we have preconceived ideas about what life is and what is true and right But I have to ask this question, is your life built upon your personal experience and what you feel, or is it based upon the foundation of the bedrock of Scripture, of God's Word? And I'll tell you this right now, the current of our culture, it's all about feelings and personal experience. 
That is the bedrock of what people are living their lives upon today, what they experience and what they feel is true, and it's not necessarily true. And I call all of us, myself included, if we aren't doing it to return, whatever Scripture says, we do it. Actually, we'll do the old-fashioned way. Hold your Bibles up. Let's stand. Hold your Bibles up. Hold your cell phone up if you don't have your Bible. And if it's your smartphone, as a symbol of God's Word, put it on your head. Those worshiping with us online, do it. This might be silly. Are you submitting to God's Word? If God's Word says it, will you believe it and do it? We're going to look at that more next week and be seated. The third thing is this. Jesus will meet us where we're at. Jesus will meet us where we're at. And he'll listen and he'll ask questions and he'll listen and he'll ask questions. He is so good to us. He is the good and great shepherd. In the same way he treated these two disciples, he'll do for us. He will do for your family. He'll do for your friend who still doesn't know Jesus yet. He'll do for your prodigal son or granddaughter or your prodigal father. He'll do for your pig-headed co-worker or your boss. Jesus is the good and great shepherd. He knows exactly how to pastor his sheep. And he knows how to divide the sheep and the goats. The fourth thing is we need to love people where they're at. Now, what does all this have to do with the gospel? What does this have to do with the resurrection? And I've actually given a whole lot. There's three things about the resurrection that are utterly vital for us, and it's utterly important. The first one is the gospel is utterly unique. The gospel is unique. The resurrection is unique. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that if Christ hadn't risen from the dead, our faith would be in vain. We would still be in our sins, and we would be pitied above all men and women. The gospel, the resurrection is utterly unique. Jesus is alive. The second one is this, the urgency of the gospel. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he's conquered sin and death. And Jesus is the only way to the Father. There aren't many ways to the Father. And scripture is very clear. Those who do not believe in Jesus, when they die, they will go to hell. And God loves the world so much that he gave Jesus that whoever believes in Jesus shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you guys know right now on this planet there are 2.5 billion, that's what they be, billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus, let alone believe in Jesus. One third of the world's population has never heard heard the name Jesus before. That is why we long to push all of y'all out to the mission field. We want to give y'all a way to go to the mission field. 
because the world needs to hear who Jesus is. And many people, even in this country, they've heard of Jesus, but they've never heard the gospel clearly, or they still, they're still clouded from understanding. And as believers, as Christians, it is our responsibility to share the gospel truth with everyone around us, our friends, our family, our coworkers, our neighbors. We are to share the gospel with all people. It's not the work of the pastor. It's not the work of the deacons. It's not the work of the missionaries. Everyone who, who declares Jesus is Lord and believes in our hearts, that God raised him from the dead. It is our role to share the gospel with everyone around us. And then the hope of the gospel. Jesus has destroyed sin and death because he died on the cross and he was buried and then he rose from the dead. We have a living hope in Christ. And because he lives, as we have sung in the past, we can face tomorrow and we are God's sons and daughters. He loves us dearly. Keep referring to my cheat sheet today. Let's stand. As I've said, Jesus meets us where we are. He loves us beyond anything we could possibly imagine or think. He meets us where we are. And the gospel, there's a uniqueness and an urgency and a hope that we have. And scripture is very clear that God longs for all people to come to repentance. His desires for every man and woman to become saved. And scripture is very clear in numerous places. In James 4, 8, it says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So if you feel like you're far from God, that you've drifted away or maybe you feel like he's drifted from you, today, you can simply say, Lord, I come back to you. I come to you. Pull away, get rid of everything that is hindering me from coming to you. Because when we humble ourselves and draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. And the hope we have in Jesus, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, God has called us to share the gospel with others. So I have one question for all of us. Who in your life are you having gospel conversations with? Who in your life are you praying for and having gospel conversations with? And if your answer is no one, I want to encourage you today, start praying that God will open those doors to share the gospel with someone. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much for this incredible day. And Jesus, I know I've gone, I went long. But Jesus, we praise you that you're the good and great shepherd. <laughs> and you walk us alongside of us and you meet us where we are. So Father, for anyone who's listening to my voice right now, who has not surrendered their lives to you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus, press them hard, make them uncomfortable. And may they confess you as Lord and Savior today, Jesus. May they give their lives to you, Jesus. Father, for those of us who are grieving, 
I thank you that you bring comfort. Father, for those of us who are clouded, our vision is clouded because of our own sin or pride or arrogance or preconceived ideas, our own selfishness, our own arrogance. Lord Jesus, bring conviction. Pull the veil away so that we could see truth clearly. Jesus, may we humble ourselves now as we sing this last song. As we stand and wait in your presence, may we humble ourselves and draw near to you. And I praise you for the promise that you then draw near to us. And Jesus, about gospel conversations, it's sharing your story, the story of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and allowing you, Holy Spirit, to do the rest of the work. Anoint us with boldness that we would share your gospel, Jesus, your hope and your love to all those around us. Father, for those of us who who rather are lazy or we don't know, we don't know how, but we have no one we share the gospel with, awaken us, open our eyes, open our hearts to see people the way you do, to love them the way you do, and that we would step out in boldness to walk as you walk, to walk alongside those in our lives, to listen to them, to ask questions, and to listen and to be patient, and also to be bold and to share the gospel. There is a world dying without you, Jesus, and you are the hope of Israel. You're the hope of the world. And Father, forgive us for being lazy, for being self-centered, for being complacent as a church. And may we walk in boldness and in power to proclaim your light and your love. May we repent of our own sin and our own selfishness, our own pride, our own arrogance. And may we live as you, Jesus, live, but we can't do it without you, Jesus. It's impossible without you, Jesus. So we ask that you would anoint us by your Holy Spirit to walk as you walked, to talk as you talk, to listen, to be bold and to be patient and compassionate all at the same time, making the most of every opportunity. And Lord Jesus, this is all for your glory. It's all for you. And we ask these things in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen and amen.